Hello, I'm Ian Wielden, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Kate North, a senior properties curator with English Heritage. And in our conversation, we talk about Kate's current role and some of the recent projects that she's worked on, which include Lincoln Medieval Bishop's Palace and Hardwick Old Hall. We also talk about her previous roles at the National Trust, the Adopt a Monument Scheme in Scotland, and a short but important stint working at Cliveden Conservation, where she remembers being awoken early one morning by colleagues to help with a salvage operation during the 2015 fire at Clandon House. This conversation took place in March over Zoom and is a shorter version of a longer chat. As always, I put links to things Kate and I discussed into the podcast notes, so you can easily look things up if you want a bit more detail on anything. And don't forget to like and subscribe through whatever podcast app or website you use, so you can receive future episodes. If you have any questions or queries, you can message me through Twitter or Instagram or through the Cultural Peeps WordPress site. I'd like to thank Kate for taking the time to talk with me about her career path so far. I really enjoyed chatting and I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm Kate North and I'm a Senior Properties Curator for English Heritage and I'm based in the East Territory. So there's four throughout the region. There's a couple of properties curators in each region, plus an extra one for London as well. So yeah, two of us covering all of the sites, which are around 75 or 80 or so in our region. Um, and it's it runs from Derbyshire and Lincolnshire up in the north down to Essex and uh, Hertfordshire in the south. So it's quite a big area. And we do sort of typical curatorial things, I suppose, like research um, and advising on the presentation of our sites and our monuments. Um, we look at their significance as well and advise colleagues on that. We do things like feed into interpretation schemes um, and generally advise on the conservation of the sites as well to make sure any works that are happening are kind of appropriate and have a really good standard. I think some of our some aspects of our work are more technical though than maybe you'd think of as a typical curator. Um, so we kind of basically we're on building sites quite a lot <laughs> for conservation works. So it's sort of looking physically at the work um, and just making sure it's right. So you kind of need to have that element of understanding of building conservation, conservation of ruins, things like that, which I really like. I really enjoy that aspect of the job. And since English Heritage split in 2015, we split into Historic England, who are still part of the government, and then the English Heritage Trust, who are charity, and we look after the national collection of sites and monuments. But we're kind of the link between the two organisations now, I suppose. Um, so all of our sites are either scheduled or listed, so we have to have consent in place to do basically anything. Um, and we're sort of that conduit between English Heritage and the inspectors of ancient monuments and um, buildings and areas at Historic England. So that seems to work quite well, that, that link between us. We're basically, we used to do the same job before it all split. Um, and when we're doing projects, it could be from little tiny things, sort of like-for-like -like repairs of buildings or monuments, up to sort of multi-million pound conservation projects or capital investment schemes. So there's quite a big variety. And when you're doing those bigger projects, you work sort of within a project team with internal people like project managers and health and safety people, but also external people like conservation architects and quantity surveyors. So that's quite interesting to work with all those different people. I think generally, though, it's kind of having common sense and looking at our sites and sort of 
trying to facilitate things happening, you know, operational needs, visitor engagement and making a bit of money as well, whilst also sort of protecting the sites. So it's that compromise, I think. But yeah, that's basically what I do. <laughs> so it's a really wide job, isn't it? I mean, is the title, yeah. the title is, is quite simple, isn't it, in some ways, the senior properties curator. Does yeah. that really kind of reflect the work that you do? Because it, sound, it sounds like you've got loads of different hats that you need to wear at different points in different projects. Yeah, I think that's why it's it's interesting. It's hard. To, I think it's hard to reflect in a job title, really. And I think it's different in different organisations. You know, the curators in the National Trust, they do a lot of different things to what we do. We've kind of I think the organisation has split it down more. So we have collections teams and we have historians and we have gardens and landscapes advisors as well. So I guess in a way it's, it sounds broad, but our job may be a bit more narrow than some others. Like we're kind of focused on the actual buildings or, or monuments. So yeah, I think it's more, it's a curator, but it's also a little bit of a conservator but without the practical element of actually, you know, physically conserving the sites. You're sort of advising on the conservation. So is this something that you thought you'd be doing, you know, when you were at school? I think I'd always been really interested in kind of history and archaeology and things like that and just anything old, old buildings, just like wandering around them. But I think I didn't really think that was feasible. I was kind of thinking, you know, you can't really do that for a job. That sounds too nice and better do something <laughs> sensible. <laughs> um, why, why did you think that? What, what, it's, kind of, it's, it's quite common, I think, but why did you feel like that? I don't know. I guess my, my parents, my dad was like a, a risk manager and my mum had been a nurse previously and they seemed like quite sort of sensible jobs, but they both enjoyed them. And everybody I knew kind of did more sort of normal jobs, I suppose, <laughs> in a way. And I sort of thought, you can't really do something as interesting as that for your main job. It would be a hobby or something on the side. Do you think that's because you would do you were going to those places for a hobby? Yeah, probably. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't really go that much with parents or school or anything like that but I was just kind of interested you know, if we found some my dad found something in the loft or something I remember finding loads of old books and just kind of going through those and being really interested in that side of it or digging in the garden when I was really young looking for bits of pottery and, and things like that and it was always just something kind of fun on the side and I never got super involved with it it was just kind of a, an interest. When I was trying to choose my A-levels it was history wasn't really a an option because the curriculum at the time it was kind of all 20th century stuff and I wasn't particularly interested in it it wasn't the world wars either which would have been interesting I think it was democracies or something which I'm sure is interesting but for me it was more the older history that I was that I was into so I think I was trying to think well if I'm not going to do that what am I going to do and I did business studies instead thinking that will be something practical that'll be useful for work in the future yeah. and I remember doing that and thinking well I'm all right at it. I quite enjoy it. Maybe I should go into that kind of thing at university and kind of looking into it all. But I wasn't very inspired. <laughs> um, and I remember my mum saying, but I thought you liked archaeology and history. And why don't you do something like that instead? And I think when she said that, it was kind of like permission to then, even though I didn't, I didn't need a permission, but I felt like it was kind of validation. Yes, you can go and do that. Yeah. So you were being sensible for you, for yourself, but then parents intervened to say is this really what you want to do that's quite interesting way around no quite often it's the other way around isn't it where people are <laughs> reining, <laughs> reining people in 
So what what did you do at A levels? You did business studies. Business. Um, I did RE and French, and then we all had to do general studies as well. So what what happened when you applied then for university? Um, so I'm trying to think back. I applied for. I really wanted to go to Nottingham because my dad went there, and I'd kind of seen the campus and stuff and really liked it. And I think if you've had a parent that's gone there, you sort of feel comfortable with it. And I was, I'd always thought, oh, I'd quite like to go to Nottingham. So I applied there. And Reading, they were my top two, because Reading had a really good archaeology department. And then I can't remember the other ones. Um, but yeah, they were my top two. And um, that all went well. And I kind of got in provisionally with the grades. And then I ended up going to Reading University. I'd gone to the open day and it seemed really good. But when I got there, I didn't like it, <laughs> which was a surprise because I'd always wanted to go to university and I, I was kind of really looking forward to it. But I got there and it was, you all had to do three subjects in your first year. So every single sort of subject was full of people. There was 300 people in a lecture theatre. And my halls, maybe I didn't choose my halls very well. I went for the old building because I really liked it. The rest <laughs> of them were all kind of 60s buildings. I went for this sort of 19th century one so that I could live in a nice old building. Um, but it was kind of corridors of people with a bathroom at the end and it was just kind of full of people again and I think I'm not so good with loads of people around. I'd rather have a smaller group to get to know. So yeah, it was quite hard to get to know people and I had a few friends there, but it was just a bit overwhelming, I think, and it was a very long way from home. So I was in Cumbria, I grew up in Cumbria and going down to Reading, it was like a totally different world and I think I just felt a bit lost probably and the course, there wasn't kind of enough input of the archaeology side um, so did art history and philosophy as well as my two other subjects and they were interesting but it was just I don't know I felt like it was being like being back at school in a way but like at a boarding school or something because you were right, all just okay. there in a big thing and so did you want more more hands-on stuff so yeah more practical and just a bit more input you were just kind of left to get on with things and there was no kind of sense of community or anything within the archaeology department I guess because in the first year there were so many people doing it, yeah. so you didn't have that feeling of kind of like a proper cohort of friends and students. Maybe I was just a bit young as well, and just, just you go off when you're 18 and you sort of dropped into a different world. It's quite often the way, isn't it? It's really, some people kind of just fit in really well and some people kind of struggle with that transition a little bit. So, so did you just kind of grind it out? Did you stay in? No, um, so that's what I would normally do because I'm sort of like that and I think I always thought, you know, I can't disappoint my parents and I should stay. And again, this is probably me thinking this, not necessarily what they would think. Um, and I was, yeah, I was always quite like sort of relaxed and fine, but I just wasn't there. So it was about six weeks in or something. And I'd been on the phone to my mum and dad every day, sort of really upset. And I think they could tell that's not what I'm like normally. So they knew that it was, I wasn't just making a fuss, you know, about nothing. Yeah. So they were like, you know, you don't have to stay. We can, don't worry about the money. Although I think we did manage to get it back, which is good. Um, so yeah, eventually I just decided to leave. I think it was probably there six weeks, eight weeks, something like that, and that was it. Went home, had a year out working and doing various bits and decided to apply for Newcastle University during that year. Yeah, and that was completely different and it was perfect. And as soon as I went there, I loved it and fitted in straight away. So I guess it's just, yeah, those choices, you don't really know at the time how it's gonna go. I think it's difficult to imagine a course, isn't it? It's difficult to yeah. to kind of visualise 
um, kind of what 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 things look like and and how courses are structured. So and then you've got the cultural aspect of it, living in that city. Or so you, you went to Newcastle. Yeah. How did that go? Yeah, that was great. So when we went to the open day, I think straight away you kind of felt at ease. The the guy Kevin Green, who was uh, the uh, leader of the department at that time, did the open day and they had students, you know, showing you around and stuff as well. And everyone was just so welcoming. So I felt relaxed going into it. And then when I got there, I was in a flat with a few people in halls, but, you know, individual flats. So you kind of had five people who you were close to already. And then the course, there was only about 30 people doing archaeology. So straight away, you kind of had that group around you and people who were really interested in it as well. And that's what they wanted to do. So that helped. And yeah, just I think being, Reading was a campus university in Newcastle, you're obviously in the city. So I think I've just felt more involved with it. Yeah, somehow just liked it straight away. <laughs> so did you get involved in other groups or societies whilst you were at university? Yeah, um, first year I joined there was the Archaeology Society um, and basically everybody who did archaeology joined that. So that was fun, it was kind of trips out and pub trips and things, so it was good to get to know people that way. And then I also joined an archaeological illustration group who were not to do with the university can't remember how I heard about them. Someone must have told me about them. And they kind of met once a week to to kind of learn how to do illustration. Um, and you just got to chat with each other. They would teach me what to do and I enjoyed it and I was all right at it as well. And it was just good, a good way to network actually and find out what else was going on kind of outside of university um, with other jobs and digs and things like that. Yeah. So did you do any, any of that stuff outside, like digs or outside of the course, or was that all part of the course? The actual digs I did were part of the course. So it was, it was only a couple of weeks every summer, um, but that was useful. And that sort of taught me that I maybe didn't enjoy the physical side of it as much as I did the academic side. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we all had two weeks in Yorkshire, North Yorkshire, in a field at Thornborough Henges, which has just become an English heritage site, actually, which is great. And it was fun, but <laughs> I preferred each each week one person was volunteered to do the cooking and the cleaning one day instead of digging, and I preferred doing that to the actual digging. So I think that told yeah. me that I probably shouldn't be doing that you know, afterwards. It's quite heavy work, though, isn't it? It's quite relentless. I think it can be a, a little bit dull if you're not finding anything as well and you're just digging through, you know tons and tons of earth and that's it and then you know there's thunderstorms and hail and all that to contend with as well. Were you thinking about what came after university whilst you were there or were you just kind of taking it as it as it came what about towards the end were you doing any any planning? Yeah I was trying to so I had a job in the year that I took out between Reading and Newcastle Uni I worked at a castle over in Cumbria um, and that was really good. I really enjoyed that, kind of being at a heritage site, seeing how it all worked, just doing a bit of everything, really. Um, and also it was a visitor, visitor attraction, so that kind of tourism side of it was quite interesting as well. Um, and then in my first year of uni, I went back there in the summer to, to work there again. And then in the second year, I got a job in Newcastle at the Castle Keep. Getting a view on working in the sector as well was quite useful. So I was thinking about that and thinking I enjoy this side of it maybe more than digging. But at the same time, I was kind of really getting into the academic side of it and really enjoying that as well. So I sort of in third year, I remember choosing modules and stuff for that and trying to, to get ones that complemented each other a bit. 
which helped with workload as well because you could do a bit for one and it kind of helped the other module. Um, yeah. And just kind of, yeah, thinking about what I was going to do and thinking, I don't want to leave, I'm really enjoying it. And in the third year as well, I remember one of the lectures we had kind of went off unexpectedly and we got a replacement one in who I think had just recently finished his PhD and was sort of postdoc. Um, and it was super enthusiastic and really interesting. And he was really into the Iron Age. And I had been into the Bronze Age in my third year. But he kind of enthused me, I think, to get into the Iron Age. And I was thinking I, I could really get into this. And so I had a word with him and we were talking about it and maybe staying on to do a master's. So, yeah, I had a big think about that and the money and everything like that and decided to go for it. Because, yeah, I just wanted to stay and carry on, really. Did you carry straight on then into the into the yeah. MA? Yeah, so everybody I knew left, <laughs> which was weird. So then you're kind of left where all your friends have gone who've got nowhere to live, so you have to sort all that out as well. Um, but that was fine. The university helped with all of that and managed to get a, a funded place. So I didn't get the AHRC, as it was at the time, I don't know if it still is, funding, but the university paid for my fees. So I just had to kind of fund my living expenses, really. Oh, wow, OK. So that was that was heritage management, wasn't it? That's no, that was um, so. My master's was in archaeology. It was in oh, sorry, Iron Age archaeology. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was like a research master's, which okay. was good. I think I didn't want to do a taught one, and they didn't do you know prehistory as a taught one anyway. So yeah, it was like a sort of mini PhD in a way, which is really interesting. Like an M MLit. Yeah, it was an MLit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and when I I came back a few years later to do the heritage management. Was that one lecture quite pivotal then there, that one introduction that you got? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just one lecture. He was kind of covering a semester or something. So he was there a bit. And initially I was thinking, oh, I'm really annoyed that we don't have the lecture I thought we were going to have and I can't do my Bronze Age stuff. But actually it worked out better, I think, in the end. And yeah, you don't know when these things might crop up. And he was very good at kind of encouraging me to go into it and providing lots of support. And I think, yeah, he had the time as well to put into that, which was really good. What happened at the end of the, the MLIT? What came next after that? So after that, I was kind of getting towards the end and thinking, what do I do now? <laughs> do I carry on and you know, do a PhD or something? But I think I was struggling that I really enjoyed what I'd done, but I couldn't think what I wanted to do next in terms of topics. And there wasn't anything kind of springing to mind that I really wanted to get into for the next three or four years. So... Eventually, I was like, I'm just going to have to go and maybe come back another time and think about it then. So I just went off and worked and got retail jobs and nothing particularly exciting, but it paid the bills and gave me time to think about what I wanted to do. Um, I was just working for an outdoor company um, as an administrator for a bit as well. Um, and then eventually I got, I saw a commercial archaeology job advertised and despite not really enjoying it when I was at uni, the physical side of it, I thought, well, I'm going to give it a go and see, you know, maybe I'll enjoy it now. So I did that for a few weeks. It was a temporary job. Um, and yeah, I wasn't thrilled with it. <laughs> it was it was exciting when we found things, which we did, luckily. But it just, yeah, I thought, I don't want to do this. It's kind of high pressure because it's all developer-led. So you're kind of, they were expanding the A1 in North Yorkshire on this project. And so you're working around diggers, you know, trying to do what they want to do. And then yeah. you're trying to, well, they think you're in the way, you know, trying to do the archaeology and record it all and everything. And yeah, you're kind of in a rush to just get it done, really. I think there's not that more relaxed side to it that you get on research digs. 
So like the pre- the commercial pressure of what what's what the main yeah the main project was. It felt like an aside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think the majority, you know, the majority of archaeology jobs are like that. So, so yeah, I'm not sure this is something I want to do long term. And yeah, physically it's really hard, but it's just. I don't know, you're kind of just out in a field every day. There's not any kind of cohesion. You're just doing this bit of job and then there's nothing else to it. You know, there's no kind of thinking about it, really. You're just there to dig the hole and record what's there. And that's pretty much it. And I felt like I needed a bit more somehow. So, yeah, then I just, when that came to an end, I went I just went back to what I was doing before in retail. But I decided to go to go over to Australia, um, Australia and New Zealand. Um, my boyfriend at the time and I were going travelling but I kind of had a contact through my uncle who did archaeology out there. So I thought, well, that'd be interesting. So I went for, I spent about a month working with her um, doing indigenous archaeology stuff, which was really exciting and different. And it gave me another perspective on things as well. So that was good. And that was, there was some physical stuff. It wasn't digging. It was more kind of recording stuff out on sites and things. Um, so it was kind of a different aspect to what I had been doing. But I think at the same time, even though I really enjoyed it, it was kind of, it was difficult. And it also made me think, actually, I really like the variety that you get back home in the UK. And maybe I miss kind of, you know, buildings and you know, heritage sites and things like that. Maybe that's more what I want to do. So, yeah, I think then I just came back and eventually I got a job with the National Trust, which was good. But again, probably not doing what I wanted to do, really, but it got me in. Which is so it's, it's quite quite a good run of jobs there at- you know, in terms of finding your feet and working out what you you did and didn't want to do. Yeah. So were you applying for other stuff at the time or did you were you just quite fortunate in getting getting applying for something and getting it? Yeah, I think I'm sure I applied for lots of other things and I probably wasn't quite at the level that I needed to be at to get them. Um, but I thought I'll apply for the National Trust one because it was kind of um, retail stuff, membership sales, but also doing some guided tours of the site. It was... Revo Terrace in North Yorkshire, which is a really pretty site as well. So it was lovely to work there, but also I kind of got a good grounding in everything, which was just building on what I'd done previously, I guess, at the Castle Keep and Moncaster as well. So I had that experience. So I kind of felt comfortable enough, but it was a much bigger organisation, which does help. And then you get to know other people within it. And, and a job came up as assistant curator, a regional curator. And I thought, I'm going to go for it so I spoke to my boss and he was very encouraging and kind of helped me practice interview techniques and all that kind of stuff so I went for the interview and um, met the regional curator and conservator who were interviewing who were really lovely Um, and it went really well but I didn't have the experience quite to get the job but I kept in touch with one of the interviewers and then he sort of became a bit of a mentor and Eventually, when I decided to go back to uni to do heritage management, I kind of was thinking then, you know, I need to get a bit more kind of academic experience in this sector as well as practical stuff. So that's why I decided to go back and do that. And that was up in Newcastle. Um, And Seton Delible Hall was kind of being acquired by the National Trust at the time. And the chap that had interviewed me for the job was leading on that. So he got me in there volunteering, going through the archives and things. So that was really good. And I spend a day or two a week doing that around my studies. And then, yeah, we had our placements for for the course. And I remember at the time thinking I wanted to do something different because I was already volunteering at Seaton Delaval. But it was actually you that <laughs> said, why don't you go to Seaton Delaval? We can spend more time there and really get into it. And I was thinking, oh, really? Should I do that? <laughs> but I did. Um, yeah, and that worked out really well. 
I was getting to do so many different things when I was there on placement that I wasn't doing, you know, when I was just volunteering. Yeah. It's sometimes quite tricky that those conversations are quite tricky because sometimes I think when you're volunteering somewhere, you might just get to do one thing or a kind of quite limited, but, but a longer placement allows you to kind of negotiate more projects and kind of explore a site a little bit more. And sometimes having that head start of already volunteering kind of really helps because you've you've got all those those relationships so you've you're kind of pushed further then so you 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 did the placement there and and what happened after that um so yeah I did like you say a whole variety of things I didn't do before that um and they just because they were just setting up there were so many different things to do as well not like a a kind of well-established national trust property I think it was just everything coming at you and you were just dealing with it day to day um and they needed because they were opening to the public then. It was like, I think it was about a week or two towards the end of the placement they were opening to the public. And they just needed people to help, you know, and people to work in the shop and all that. And I had that experience previously. So I think they just saw that I could do that. And so I sort of fitted in and it was easy for them. So they gave me a job doing, yeah, membership and shop stuff. But also at the same time, I'd started working on the conservation management plan for the whole whilst I was kind of volunteering and on placement and so I was able to continue with that as well and they were sort of paying me to do that but it was a bit on the side really so my main job was really the shop because they could justify that but in the background I was also doing extra bits that I was actually maybe more interested in and that would help me more in the future and yeah I just had a temporary contract for a few months but managed to keep getting it renewed and renewed and I think I was there for about maybe three years in the end um, but it was always a bit tenuous because there wasn't kind of a proper formal job as such. Yeah. Was that because the, the site was in that transitional period where it was so new and there were building teams? Because it might be worth saying a bit about Seton Delville Hall. It's quite an unusual site, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing place. And yeah, it was, I guess it was 2009, 2010, they started the acquisition process and it was kind of quite community-led as well. So there was lots of engagement with the local community and it was going to be sort of like like a bit of a big village hall really for people to use as well as a National Trust site for normal everyday visitors that usually go to these properties to go to. And they're supposed to get more yeah more people involved, different audiences. So there's lots going on and there was kind of that side of it, all the community stuff, and then there was big project work as well. So that was interesting, you know, moving collections around so that you could re-roof a bit of the building and there's lots of archaeology and I think because the trust had just got it as well and it hadn't been that well researched there was a lot of kind of mysteries and things to discover about the place which is really exciting and there was always loads of events going on as well those first few years to get people engaged so it was always quite busy and vibrant which is nice and the project team because we'd all kind of started at the same time there was kind of a real camaraderie and there was a really good social side of it as well we all just got on and yeah, it was it was a fun place to work. <laughs> so you were there for about three years, did you say, yeah. until about 2013? Yeah, that sounds about right. Or maybe maybe it was two years, two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> and and what happened then? What made you leave National Trust at that point? So I didn't want to leave. Um, they had a kind of, I think they got to the point then where all the acquisition stuff was over and it was settling into a more normal rhythm and they needed to re, kind of rearrange the staffing structure and so on to something more workable and more traditional maybe fitted in so they did all that and there wasn't because my job wasn't really an official job anyway there just wasn't my role there anymore um which was it was a bit of a shock at the time because I didn't know that was coming particularly (laughs) 
So I was suddenly dropped in the deep end of like, okay, I'm not going to have a job in a week's or a month's time. So kind of looking around for other stuff. But I'd made quite a few contacts in the trust as well. And they'd all been really good, but they just it was hard for them because they couldn't just create a job somewhere for me. Yeah. Um, but their regional curator, who I'd worked with a bit, was has heard about some kind of conservation cleaning work at Cragside. So again, that was something slightly different. I'd done a bit at Seaton Delible, but going there and kind of working with the collections more and looking after the building sort of physically was quite interesting. So that was kind of a temporary job, really, just to tie me over. And again, it wasn't something that I really wanted to do longer term, but it was interesting enough and brought in the money and kind of kept me in in that sector as well. And whilst I was doing that, um, a job came up back with the university um, with one of my previous lecturers. And it was uh, like a rock art project, rock art recording. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I'll, I'll go for that. Um, I went for the interview. But, and it went really well, actually. Well, I thought it went well. <laughs> but I think I didn't have a kind of science-y background and some of the more detailed research skills and things that you wanted or they wanted for the project. So I didn't get it. That was OK. Uh, I carried on at Cragside. And then he got in touch a few weeks later and said, oh, we're setting up this e-learning programme in heritage management and tourism um, with you. <laughs> and would I be interested maybe in... You know, if I was still looking for work, coming to help with that a little bit. So, yeah, it was something completely out of the blue and different. I hadn't really ever thought I'd get into that. So, yeah, it seemed a good opportunity. Yeah, it's really different from the other stuff that you yeah. were doing at the time. And it was really nice to, you know, for Aaron to think of me and think, you know, maybe I could do that. So, yeah, I thought, grab that one, <laughs> go and do that. So I think you were with us for about, was it about 10 months or something like that? Something like that, yeah. I think it was, it was a few months, wasn't it, to start with, and then it got extended a bit. Yeah. Which is good, yeah. So that, that was a good a good stint and yeah, learning quite a few new skills as well. Yeah. So what what happened after that? So you I think that was about something like February or March two thousand fourteen, I think. Yeah. Sorry, I've got yeah. quite a keen memory for you. You've got a very good memory. <laughs> Better than mine. Um, I can't remember if we knew it was coming to an end or it was likely to come to an end at some point soon, so I'd been looking for other stuff. And I'd found a job doing community archaeology up in Scotland. And I was thinking, should I go or should I not? And it wasn't brilliantly paid, but it sounded really interesting. And I'd always liked Scotland and it was near Edinburgh, which would be fun. So, yeah, I decided I had no ties really to stay otherwise. So I thought I'd go for it. So I did. So in the February, I think it was snowing at the time I moved up there. Um, yeah, it started in the March. So that was, yeah, doing lots of different things. Again, it was back doing archaeology, but not necessarily digging. There was kind of working with community groups, doing building recording, or um, there was uh, the necropolis, a big graveyard in Glasgow, kind of recording all the tombstones and things there. Um, and there was one that was really interesting called Canal College, um, which was based in Falkirk at the historic lock flights they've got there. And it was working with, it was kind of a group that was set up to help young people who were, sort of struggling to get into work, really. So they were just sort of sat at home. It was supposed to give them a few kind of skills to get them into work. So it's like timekeeping, working as a team and things like that. And as part of it, they did all sorts of things, but as part of it, there was some archaeology on these lock flights. So sort of one day a week, I think it was, for a few weeks, we were there working with, with a group to kind of record the lock flight and do a little bit of excavation. And Yeah, it was really interesting. And they seemed to get a lot out of it as well. 
Um, yeah, and that programme would run and run and run with different kind of cohorts going through, but I was just there for one of them. But yeah, it was really interesting and I did enjoy it, but I think I just felt maybe I'd gone back to archaeology and that wasn't really where I wanted to be particularly. I sort of missed the conservation side of things. And at the same time, I'd met, when I was working for the National Trust, I'd met their um, national advisor for stone um, and various other conservation bits, um, who had a, his own company. And so I kind of kept in touch with him and the business had stonemasons, plaster workers, loads of you know people who were really good at their craft. Um, you got to live on the National Trust Estate at Cliveden, which was lovely. And so I was thinking, yeah, this is maybe more what I want to do. So I didn't want to give up my job in Scotland because I felt really bad because I'd only been there a few months. Um, I told them about it and they completely understood. So yeah, I made the decision to go down and yeah, did that for a while. And that was really, really interesting and got me a lot more experience in that practical side of things. It's probably worth me asking at this point, you've you've moved quite a lot then. You've not been yeah. not been frightened of moving for jobs. No. So, you know, is that something that you're quite... I mean, you just said that you didn't really want to move down south, but, you know, is that something that you've always thought if the right thing came along, you would relocate Yeah, for? I think I've never been kind of like tied to a place as such like when we were when I was young we lived in Derbyshire and then we moved up to Cumbria so there was kind of a big move then when I was little I know my mum had always moved around a lot when she was younger so it was kind of she took it in a stride and it was sort of normal for that to happen and then going off to uni you know moving around a bit then and yeah I think I'd kind of been happy to do that and I just there was just me so I didn't have to think about anybody else really I thought may as well go and get all these different experiences and see different places I think I quite like the challenge as well, maybe. It's quite brave, isn't it? Like, and like you're saying, when you're on, you know, a, a lower wage, it's quite, it's quite tricky to make the jump and then kind of get yourself set up and start a job. I think as well, there's not always, there wasn't always a choice, particularly in that, you know, I was on short-term contracts a lot. So, you know, you've got to then have a job. Like, I couldn't really survive not having a job for more than a couple of months. So there's only so many jobs in our sector. And I thought, well, I just have to move around for them and, and do that. And it normally worked out well. And if it didn't, like in Scotland, it wasn't, they didn't work out well, but I didn't love living there either, maybe so much. And I missed kind of having friends around and stuff like that. I was just out there on my own. And I do still have a couple of friends that I made up there who are lovely. But generally, I didn't have that kind of community around me. And I think I felt a bit isolated. So moving down to Cliveden was maybe a good thing because you were surrounded by people who, either lived on site or lived locally and there was kind of more of a like a social scene and it was just a bit friendlier maybe. Was the work that you did there exposing you to lots of different things within that field? It sounds like it was quite wide the, the type of work that, yeah. that, that they were doing. Yeah so Trevor was the managing director it was his company and I was his technically his assistant but it wasn't kind of you know being his PA or anything as such it was he led the advisory section of the business, so it was kind of going out doing condition surveys of plaster ceilings or, you know, some a wall had fallen down and going advising on what they should do about that. And it was really exciting getting to go to loads of amazing private houses and things like that that I hadn't really seen before so much, seeing behind the scenes and stuff. Um, so, you, yeah, you got to do amazing stuff like that. And then he was out of the country quite a lot or away on business a lot as well. So I'd work with the other teams. Um, the decorative arts team didn't have a manager for a while, so I was kind of helping out with that, like a bit of project management 
side of things. But yeah, and I lived with a stonemason, you know, in the sort of shared house for a while. And you're surrounded by, you know, the, the guys and girls out on the yard doing their physical work on site. So you get an understanding, I think, of how that all works. And because I lived on site, you know, I couldn't get away, which may be a good thing. I was like completely immersed in it all. <laughs> I remember about six o'clock one morning because Trevor lived in the house next door. Him throwing little pebbles at my window to wake me up, saying, uh, Kate, Kate, wake up. Clandon House is on fire. We've got to go. So this is when Clandon, the National Trust House, burnt down. Um, and we had to trek over there at six in the morning to go and help with the salvage and sort of advise on the planning. So you got to do a whole range of stuff, really, and unexpected yeah, things. Massive. So you were there for for how long? How long I was only there a year just under a year and I hadn't planned to leave particularly but then a friend told me about the this English heritage job that was coming up um, and I looked at it and I was like oh that <laughs> sounds quite interesting I'd been to an event she was from Seton Delaville Hall this friend um, and I'd been to an event with her maybe a couple of years beforehand one of the heritage angel events and it was at Belsay Hall and the properties curator for English Heritage showed us round, and I remember thinking, oh, he's amazing. It would be great to work with him or, you know, do that kind of job. And then this job came up and it was, they were advertising for properties curators and like one in each region because now the organisation has split. They needed more people in the team. And there was one in the north, one in the east, one in the south. And the one in the north is the chap that I'd met. So I thought I've got to apply for that. Um, so, yeah, I applied for it and had the interview and it went super well and, but then I didn't hear anything for quite a long time it was kind of around Easter and I think people were on holiday and stuff and I thought oh no well, maybe I haven't got it and then they contacted me and said oh we'd like to offer you the job but we have got these three positions and the one in the north um the other candidate who is suitable for it can't move or you know doesn't want to move so we'd like to offer her the one in the north. Would you accept one of the other two? You can choose which one. Um, so I said, oh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Yeah, and I'd, I had said at the interview that I would be stupid not to accept it if you know, something was offered. So I was like, oh, yeah, I would be stupid. I was going to have to go for it. And I remember I'd been with Trevor at Clifton. I'd been to Cambridge where I'd never been before, but I'd been on a job with him to one of the colleges and had thought at the time, oh, it'd be lovely to live here or work here. And yeah, the English Heritage job was based in Cambridge, the one in the East. So it seemed kind of like fate and seemed like my perfect job. So yeah, I had to give him my notice at Cliveden and they were really understanding and kind of thought that was the right move for me as well. Um, so yeah, went went off, <laughs> moved again. But now I've been here for nearly eight years, so I've actually stayed somewhere. So what's next? What projects are you working on? What have you got coming up at the moment? So for the last... The last sort of four or five years, we were working one at Lincoln Medieval Bishop's Palace, which is next cathedral. And it was kind of in planning for two or three years and obviously it was COVID. So we've been on site for nearly two years now, actually physically doing the work. And that's loads of masonry consolidation, replacements and various other bits and pieces. Um, it's like site wide. So it's been quite a huge project. Um, and that's been amazing. Really good team there. And I've really enjoyed that one. Um, and I've also been doing conservation project at Hardwick Old Hall in Derbyshire and again that's sort of site-wide but it was a bit more there's lots of different materials there so there's a lot of decorative plaster work and there's a masonry as well but there's timber and concrete and all sorts of stuff so that's been a, a nice interesting one and that ran for about a year or so on site 
but again, lots of lead up to it, all the research and everything. And then we've got another one coming up, um, which we're just kind of starting the planning of now, which is Rufford Abbey in Nottinghamshire. So again, it's masonry consolidation mainly. Um, and it's kind of a, an abbey that was then made into a country house and then ruined in the, the 50s. Actually, it was sort of partially demolished, 1950s. Um, and the abbey top sort of has the upstanding sandstone walls, but then sort of a 1990s slab top to it. Um, and the detailing is rubbish. So basically the water's getting into the medieval undercrofts underneath. So it's sort of addressing water ingress as well as doing masonry repair and, and things like that. And it's in the middle of um, a big country park as well. So it gets hundreds of thousands of visitors, sort of local visitors coming all the time. So there's that challenge like operationally of how to manage the conservation and the visitors. And yeah, I think it's just been a bit sad for the last few years. We've been trying to get it on the, the project list, basically, because it's been closed. People can't get in. So I'm really pleased it's there now. And otherwise, there's, there's always things like it's not just conservation work. So there's things like new toilets going in places and... There's always stuff like fire systems or security, you know, CCTV cameras and stuff like that. So there's lots of smaller projects, interpretation, stuff like that along the way. And then you get these big major national projects as well. Um, but yeah, I really like national ones because you kind of get into it. You, know, you yeah. kind of get focused on one site for a bit or a couple of sites. How have things changed in the last few years with COVID and has that changed your working patterns? Because it sounds like you do so much on-site stuff. You know, has that changed? Are you working from home more and still managing yeah. to get out on site? So when it was, yeah, when lockdown hit in March, three years ago, um, it was kind of, yeah, what's going to happen? Um, because we only had like a limited amount of funds that had come from the government when we split, you know, we need to look after that. And they were applying for grants and stuff as well and got quite a few COVID recovery grants and things, which is good. But I think, you know, they wanted to just initially kind of tail things off a little bit until they knew what was going on, understandably. So about, I don't know, 80 odd percent or so of the organisation were put on furlough and I was one of them. Um, so the seniors, senior property creators kind of stayed in place and helped oversee everything that was going on. But we were on furlough from it was mid-April till about September that year, which is weird. Um, and then we kind of gradually went back part time and then full time. Um, towards you know sort of October ish time, um, and then once we got back, I think they knew more the position that we were in. We were okay, sort of thing. We'd got these grants from the government and things, so it wasn't too bad. And they could kickstart the projects again and stuff like that. So you know we started Lincoln again and and things, and so that all kind of carried on. Just you know socially distanced, I suppose. A lot more meetings online. Um, people weren't going into the office at all. Um, so our, our office was in Cambridge, but I'd actually moved from there the previous year anyway to one of our sites, which is a bit nearer. And so I wasn't really, I kind of went in there sometimes, but I was working from home quite a bit anyway in between site visits. So I just kind of worked from home all the time instead. And most people did that. You could go into the office if you really needed to, but it was very, very limited. And obviously that kind of gradually got phased back in office working and stuff. But I've just never liked working in an office, to be honest, anyway. So... I'm always happier if I'm out on site or I can work at home. And now, you know, it's kind of so much easier to work from home anyway. Everything's set up. So, yeah, I tend to go in the office now occasionally, but only if there's something to do on site, really. And the rest of the time I'm just at home. So officially my office is there, but unofficially I work at home. Do you have any advice for anybody thinking about 
embarking on a career in this field? I think advice wise it would just be to stick at it you know if you really love it then stick at it because it does take a while you know in order to get a job that I really wanted to do it took I don't know 10-15 years or so to get there and you know lots of doing lots of other things in between time but yeah just kind of having that persistence I suppose and making sure you try and meet as many people as possible and grab the opportunities you know I think people always want to help and I always want to help if someone approaches me trying to get experience so I think just make the most of those relationships that you build and take on the opportunities and yeah I'd encourage people to move around if they can then it's been interesting for me and I think you get quite a lot of experience as well that way Um, so yeah just just plow on Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 